0: Oh, my dearly beloved Satguru, I have forgotten your name. This is the Bhajan Mera Satguru Prita on page 9. I am your soul, O oh Satguru. You are my dear father. I don't know how I was separated from you. Many ages have passed, O oh Emperor. I came promising to meditate, How did I become involved in births and deaths? Please clear up this illusion, O Emperor. Kal, the negative power, entrapped me in the cage of the three worlds. He imprisoned me with the chains of good and bad deeds, O Emperor. Many thousands of ages have passed in worshipping idols and going to temples. If there is any discoverer of God, may he unite me with him who is sitting within me, O Emperor. My soul is tied up in the 84 lakhs of births and deaths. I am tired doing all rites and rituals. I have bathed in the places of pilgrimage, O Emperor. Above Sat Lok there are the limitless regions of Allah, Anami, and Agam. Mastanaji says, Take the medicine. Our doctor has arrived, O Emperor. <coughs> oh my dearly beloved Satguru, I have forgotten your name. Bajan of Mastanaji on page nine. <coughs> Mera satguru Guru pyara, Me Buligai Nama Tumara Mera
1: Sattva Guru pyara, Me Buligai
0: Nama tumara. Mehu Atma Teri satguru Tu Mera Pita pyara. MEHU ATMA
1: THERI SATTE GURU TUMERA PITA
0: PIYARA KESETUMA SEI VICHADA GAYA JUGA SARA GAYA JUGA SARA
1: MEHU GURU Preetama, me Bhurigai Nama Thumara Nerasate Guru Kritamapyara, Pyara Me Bhurigai Nama
0: Thumara Bhajanakaranako Aiti Me Karike Kolakirara
1: parchana kar liko ai thi me khade khon
0: krar janm maran mein kaise Baramahamara gaye
1: mito guru pritam kya
0: ऐ Nerasate अच Teena loka ka pinjara
1: Garadhi akalane jala prasara
0: Papa punaki dalahata kadimu jayelikarake dara Shannusha jayelikarake
1: dara Naira satya guru pritama pyara Shannusha jayelikarake ME GULIGAY NAMA TU MARA GURU PRITAMA PYARA ME GULIGAY
0: NAMA TU MARA PUJATA PUJATA JUGA GAYA KAYA JAARA
1: Takaramandir, Pujata, Pujata,
0: Jugavita, Gaya, Kalhajara, Koikoji, Hoto, Jinder, Guru, Pritamapyara,
1: Guru, Guru, नैय
0: कायना guru गुरु प्रीतम
1: LAKDARCHO RASTI KEPAN THANAME
0: BANDEYA JIVARA HAMMARA KARMA DHA RAM SUBHA KARA HARIME NALE THIRAT THA SARA
1: SHERN MERA May BULIGAI NAMA TU MARA MERA SATI GURU PRITAMA PYARA ME BULIGAI NAMA
0: LOKA UPAR DESYA NAMI AGAM apara Satta Loka Upadhesha Lakhage Nami Abha Mahapara Kema Satana Ji Lelo Divai Abha Agaya Vedahamara Shandasha Agaya
1: Vedahamara Mera Satya Guru Pritama Pyara Bulega inamatumara Nera Sati Guru Prietama Pyara Ne Bulega
0: Namatumara. Oh my dearly beloved Satguru, I have forgotten your name. Our next rajan is on page 113 only you know your nature no one else can know only he upon whom your grace will descend will recognize you age after age you came first you were called by the name Kabir liberating the world from rites and rituals you made them devoted to the spiritual path. You suffered all the pains and tortures and told the secret of the real home. Becoming Nanak, you liberated the world. Then you had the name Angad. You were called Amardev, Guru Ramdasji, and Arjandev. Guru Arjanji sat on the heated iron. And became grateful to the will. Hargobind, Hari Rai, Hari Krishanji are the beloved ones. Satguru Teg Bahadur sacrificed his head for religion. Guru Gobind Singh graced Ratnagar Rao and gave honor to the homeless ones. Tulsi Sahib, the lover of Nam, liberated Swamiji. Swamiji made Jamal Singh board the ship of Nam. Beloved Samhain of Jamal Singh separated the milk from the water. Beautiful Samhain developed this garden in which he placed a gardener. His name is Beloved Kripal, and he is the protector of the Sangat. Listen to this request of poor Jabe protect the honor of the honorless ones only you know your nature no one else can know only he upon whom your grace will descend will recognize you bhajan of sanchi on page 113
1: sathe
0: We've been reading over the past few months uh, various writings of Master Kripal Singh in connection with um, what we might call the macrocosm, okay, the outer world, uh, and what, how that relates to what he called the spiritual revolution. And I want to more or less finish although there is no finishing of this particular subject but i want to um put some kind of closure i guess on it by reading his last major public address which was uh, given at the unity of man conference in 1974 february um called The Remodeling of Our Destiny which is, by the way, a wonderful title which comes directly from the talk actually from the beginning of the talk and um, it should open up infinite possibilities for us our destiny exists but we have the power to remodel it it's quite a concept and it's worth thinking about as we read master's words he this is kind of a tying up of things too he did issue um, a circular letter after this and of course he gave talks uh, many of them to disciples and so forth but this was his last major public statement of um ideas principles which were very important to him So, the remodeling of our destiny, a mystic bond of brotherhood makes all men one. Thomas Carlyle, who was of course uh, very well known in his day, he was a Scottish philosopher who greatly influenced Emerson and Thoreau and the Transcendentalists, Uh, He was a good friend of Emerson's. They met many times and discussed things, and they saw eye to eye. So he's largely been forgotten in the U.S., but in the 19th century he was one of the best known thinkers of the world. So Master says, Dear brothers and sisters, I am happy to greet you all who have gathered here from all over the world. In this momentous session, which refers to, of course, the World Conference on Unity of Man, we have to explore and find out ways and means to cement and strengthen the solidarity of mankind. Nations, like individuals, are swayed by passions, prides, and prejudices, which create chasms in the real social order, which are very often difficult to span. We are living in an age of decadence, when moral and spiritual values are at their lowest ebb. With all these drawbacks and the numerous divisive tendencies, there is still a ray of hope, of regeneration and reorientation this very hope has brought us together I thank you all for the loving response to the call for remodeling of our destiny to secure a lasting peace it is said that East is East and West is West and never the twain shall meet that may have been true at one time or another or for the author of the dictum Rudyard Kipling, but certainly it carries no weight with men of God in the present scientific age when distance and space are fast losing their significance and efforts are being made to establish interplanetary contacts. The various countries of the world are just like chambers in the house of God, housing different nations. Distinguished from one another by geographic, climatic, and historical conditions, facial contours and complexions, languages and dialects, diet and apparel and modes of worship, all people conditioned by these divergent factors form the great organic whole called humanity. With all these seeming differences and distinctions of color, creed, and caste, and these diversities in his modes of living and thinking, man essentially and basically remains man in outer appearance and inner makeup. Unity already exists in the human form. Since each one is born the same way, with the same outer and inner construction, and each one has a soul which is of the same essence as that of God. We are drops of the ocean of all consciousness whom we worship as the same God, calling him by different names. Holy men say that the human body is the true temple of God and that he resides in the temple made by him in the womb of the mother and not in temples made by human hands and that the human form provides us with a golden opportunity to realize him. Man has three aspects, physical body, intellect, and a conscious entity. He has progressed physically Intellectually and mechanically. But despite this, he is unhappy and has not developed spiritually. He has developed his head and not his heart. And his scientific knowledge is misdirected to fiendish malevolence. It has created a spiritual vacuum. We stand in the middle of a twofold crisis a state cult of militarism, euphemistically called patriotism on one hand, and an apathy to spiritual development through knowledge of the true self on the other. In the absence of any positive thinking on both these levels, we are morally regressing, and in this sad predicament we cannot have lasting peace. Guru Nanak therefore prayed, O God, the world is aflame and has passed beyond our care. Save it by the means you consider best. The problem before us is how to bring about a change in man's heart and affect his inner conversion so that he can see truly and clearly and learn to discriminate between truth and untruth since this lies beyond the scope of body and intellect it can only come about through an inward illumination of divine wisdom in the sanctuary of the soul this is the individual aspect of the matter we also have to forge abiding bonds of kinship among the nations of the world so they will treat each other with genuine courtesy based on inward love and friendliness and seek the welfare of all members of the human family, transcending their political ideologies which create rivalries and international tensions. During my last foreign tour, I was asked on television in the United States, how can peace be cemented? I told them, peace can be cemented only when men rise above isms and presidents and kings rise above countries. To remain in any ism is a blessing, if we keep in mind the ideal for which we have joined it and rise into universalism. But if we stick obdurately to the ism, the result is again narrow-mindedness and selfishness. Similarly, if kings nourish their gardens well and keep them blooming in all respects, they should let all other countries bloom the same way and further the cause of human happiness. Otherwise, there will be conflicts and wars. It has been our endeavor of late to find a common forum and meeting ground where such momentous issues could be discussed dispassionately by separating the non-essentials from essentials and eliminating differences in order to find unity in diverse thinking and bring abiding peace on earth, complete concord and amity in all spheres of our life. In order to understand this worldwide movement in which we are participating today, it is necessary to review its background. Religious contacts between East and West were established as far back as 1893 when the patriot Saint Vivekananda went out with the message of the Upanishads in Gita and represented India at the Chicago Parliament of Religions. His life and living showed a practical way to demonstrate the essential unity of all religions, to proclaim the message of which he founded a chain of missions in the name of his master, Paramansa Ramakrishna. Ten years later, in 1903, another young savant, Swami Ram Tirath, Presented the philosophy of Vedanta to the West in such a lucid manner that he was hailed as a living Christ Swami Ram Tirith by the way who has also largely been forgotten in America is still remembered in India. He was from Lahore Which of course was where Master Kripal lived and was brought up much of his life and um, He would have been very well known to him. And Swami Tirat is the originator of the phrase which Master Kripal loved to quote. He put an ad in the paper in the classifieds, wanted, said wanted, reformers, not of others but of themselves, salary godhead. And Master used to quote that, maybe a million times, I don't know, I heard him say it from the beginning to the end so many times. <clears throat> Thus the way was paved for the next great step, the spread of spirituality or mysticism, the bedrock of every religion. In its pure essence, this implies the awakening of man to a consciousness at once suprasensible and supramental, immediate revelation all mystics Eastern and Western have believed in the possibility of direct communion with the spirit and power of God through love and contemplation without the aid of reason and logic it puts man on the road to inwardness not to be confused with escapism with an active living morality as the essential prerequisite this is the religion of spirit or the science of the soul and through it an individual finds his proper relation to the universe by establishing contact with God through his expression the power called nam, shabad, kalmar or word which is the maker permeating and controlling all creation. The relationship with this power is achieved by developing reverence for life at all levels of existence without distinguishing between high and humble, including man, bird, beast, and the lower species. The non-human forms are the younger members of the family of God. This idea of the sanctity of life is a living religion of love in the innermost part of our being. True theism cannot be reasoned out intellectually or felt on the level of emotions. It proceeds from true knowledge, which is an action of the soul in perfect harmony beyond the senses. This is what is called spirituality, the contact of the soul with the oversoul. And it is achieved by rising above body consciousness through practical self analysis, a demonstration of which can be given by an adept in the process. We call it paravidya, the knowledge of the beyond because it lies beyond our sensory perceptions. This science of the soul is not something new. It is the most ancient teaching of all. The way back to God is of God's own make and stands on its own without the necessity of scriptural support to uphold its authenticity. But, Unmistakable references in the scriptures of all religions, from the earliest times to the present day, bear witness to the unmanifest reality in its primordial form of light and sound. In the present age, saints like Kabir and Guru Nanak revived the ancient teachings of the sages of the past. In more recent times the torch was kept alive by their successors until the spiritual mantle came to hallow the personality of Babasawan Singh Ji, who during his long ministry of 45 years from 1903 to 1948 gave it the widest distribution possible. In 1911 he began the work of revealing the gospel of love light and life to the western world as well Rouhani satsang was founded in 1948 and dedicated to the task of imparting purely spiritual instruction shorn of all ritual and ceremony and free from embellishment and symbol to all classes of humanity and that word Ruhani, which uh, means in uh, Punjabi language, or actually, uh, it's from the Urdu, and it means spirit. Uh, or actually, it's the adjective, spiritual, is the same word uh, for spirit and usually also breath and wind, uh, which are found in a whole host of languages, including Hebrew and Arabic and Persian. Uh, ruha or ruach and it's the word used in the bible in the first verse when it says the spirit of god or the breath of god or a wind from god hovered over the waters um, ruach so followers of different faiths beliefs and creeds meet at Sawanashram, ashram which became its permanent center in 1951 and address large masses of people coming from different walks of life who are eager to learn and understand the elemental truths which form the quintessence of all sacred scriptures the discourses converge on the common theme of establishing direct touch with reality and attempts are made to reproduce and correlate in simple understandable language sayings of sages and seers of all times presently this is being spread in 209 centers all over the world which have helped considerably to remove to some extent artificial barriers of race language and religion and brought many kinds of human beings to worship the nameless being with so many names By the grace of God, a new field unexpectedly opened in 1957 when Muni Sushil Kumarji sponsored a conference of world religions with the idea of forming a world fellowship of religions. As a result of further deliberations, there did come into being a fellowship, including most of the faiths of the world, and I was elected its president. Three world tours were undertaken and four world religions conferences (coughs) were organized in India besides regional conferences in other countries. The purpose was to disseminate the idea of universal fellowship among people professing different faiths and beliefs and it brought about broader and better understanding and a sense of mutual trust and confidence at the top level among the representatives of the various religions. But while the religious leaders were coming closer, a danger was developing among the followers. Instead of making religion a cementing force, they made it an instrument to serve their vested interests and began to form communal groupings bearing the labels associated with their isms fortifying them with artificial walls of hatred and distrust one wonders how a person professing religion which is a link between man and God can run the risk of forgetting that he is a man born with the same privileges from God as those he hates and that he is a conscious entity Which is a drop of the ocean of all consciousness. To combat this danger of religious chauvinism, it was thought necessary to start the work of regeneration from the roots. Man making must take precedence. This can only be done by inculcating in people generally the humanistic ideals of unselfish love and selfless service, with special emphasis on man service, land service, and animal service, animals being our younger brothers and sisters in the family of God. This idea took concrete shape in 1969 with the decision to set up man-making centers, or man-of-kendras, here in India and abroad. In India, a man's center has been started at Derudun, at the foot of the Shivalik range of the Himalayas. It has set up a hospital, a home for indigent elderly people, and a school for the children of poor families in the area. A provision for farming and cattle raising on modern scientific lines is a part of the project. Eventually we hope to see a university fully equipped with the original scriptural texts of the religions of the world so that comparative studies of the truths contained therein may be undertaken and a language school to overcome linguistic difficulties. This convention aims to unite all mankind on the common ground of service to fellow human beings and faith in divine power. And to accomplish that, it urges the religious and ethical leadership of the world to shed apathy and aloofness and assume a more prominent role in human affairs. Such conferences in the past have been organized at the level of religions, and consequently have not been able to achieve integration in the required measure. A significant feature of this conference is that it is being organized at the level of man, the human level, as envisioned by saints and prophets like Socrates, Buddha, Muhammad, Christ, Kabir, and Nanak, so that it may lead to true integration. The challenging task before the religious and spiritual leaders is to bring about a radical change in the ethical, educational, and economic status of humanity. Economic uplift is essential because a hungry man is an angry man and to talk of God to him is a mockery. I am confident that each one of us fully realizes the significance of this cosmopolitan meeting and will extend his wholehearted support toward the fulfillment of its objectives, developing human understanding and heralding the unity of mankind. Let us pledge ourselves to this task Transcending all narrow allegiances and commitments and stand united and resolute until its ultimate fulfillment. And I would like to point out we've been talking some of us anyway about prophecy. Uh, I, it seems to me that Master, here is if the biblical prophets uh, constantly set up a possible destiny, but their whole point, the whole reason that they gave a public message, was to encourage people to remodel it. Uh, The the perfect parable of that is in the Biblical book of Jonah um, where Jonah goes out to Nineveh, which actually is a city which eventually uh, conquered, or very badly, very, did a lot of damage to, at any rate, uh, large numbers of the Jewish people. And to convert them um, to belief in God and he and he did it there was I mean the book is full of his problems but the point is that his message was heard and the destiny was remodeled and master is saying here that um, this is very real possibility you know we can remodel our destiny destiny is not like a fixed thing written in the stars it exists but the, the true understanding of the inner nature of things implies the possibility of change freedom free will is not just a phrase its a reality we have freedom we can make a difference we can remodel our individual destiny and if we are um, enough of us we can remodel macrocosmic destiny as well a couple of points that come up while reading this um, Master used to say that um, I've said this many times in satsang so many of you may have heard it but he used to say a lot that um, Satyuga will not come out of the sky, it will be born out of the Kali Yuga. And it was very clear, I in many of the contexts, some of those references have been published, many of them were private, he said in group darshans and things like that, but um, it is clear that he meant that we can make it happen. And this is, you know, in, in biblical terms, and if you study the biblical references to uh, a future golden age, which are found in many places in the Bible, especially Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of the other prophets too, uh, you do see that um, what is you know considered to be the consciousness or the kingdom of the messiah in the biblical text refers to this that it is talking about a change in the way people relate to each other based on an understanding within each person of their own relationship to god which when followed through by people will of itself bring about what religious people call the coming of the Messiah or the kingdom of God but uh, which can be understood as living on a different level of consciousness and that's what Master is talking about here also he is actually um, laying out a pretty careful blueprint to be followed not only by initiates of course he was this he had this was from this address was given one of the major Uh, meetings of the conference at the, I think it was at the Ramlila grounds, as I recall, Uh, and there were probably 50,000 people in attendance, um, including a large number of initiates, for sure, but also a great many who were not. And uh, most of the delegates, apart from the Satsangis, were, uh, were not initiated, of course. Um... He used to say, somebody once, uh, well I asked him once, and I've told this many times too, um, you know, the scriptures say, the Hindu scriptures say, that um, after the cycle of four yugas, the the day of Brahma in the Hindu mythological calendar, um, when the Kali Yuga ends, and it's supposed to last 432,000 years, and since it began in, uh, according to the scriptures, approximately 3200 BC, at the time of the Mahabharata War, uh, that means there's quite a long ways to go before you reach the end of it. And then it's followed by a night of Brahma, or a period of dissolution, uh, Mahapralaya, and uh, and then the golden age starts all over again in other words it's understood as a cyclic thing which would appear to have no room whatsoever for remodeling or free will so i I asked man i said you use your saying that the golden age will be born out of the kali yuga and will be brought about by us changing our consciousness level Um, But what about um, this idea that, um, you know, the cycle lasts for so many years and is followed by a comparable period of withdrawal, etc., and then the golden age comes. And he said, it's sometimes like that, but it's not always. And I said, it isn't going to be like that this time. And he said, that's right. It is not going to be like that this time. So it is a very real thing, and I think that the uh, often when ideas are, you know, postulated or, or models of the inner worlds and the way things work are given, that in order to get them into human language, because course they have to pass through the brains of the people to whom the revelations may be imparted, and that it is very easy to oversimplify and to, in many cases, miss the point of what it is. Um, so the principle we should never assume, you know, are the each individual's fate karma. That is to say, the number of breaths each of us has been allotted, and the basic facts of our of our existence. You know that we are born into. Uh, sure those are fixed But they are fixed in accord with what we have done in previous lives Which means that what we do in this life determines any future life we have and it also um, Those things are fixed But the reactions of us to them are not and it is in our reactions to the way our fate works upon us that we have ability to Um, change things and how we deal with what happens is what determines what we take with us at the end of our life so it's an important um, I think you know the masters do function as prophets I've said that a prophet is someone who can see the underlying pattern of events and call people's attention to that pattern who cannot see it and encourage them to do what master is talking about here remodeling their destiny so i want to read um, this talk was given um, actually a year before the one i just read and it's this one this talk has been around a while and read Uh, It's in the book, The Coming Spiritual Revolution, as well as in The Way of the Saints, which is what I'm reading it from, The Spiritual Revolution Explained. And uh, in this talk, Master does make points which reflect and connect very much with the um, talk that we just read. This was in February 1973, uh, just about a year before. And this is uh, the mass, This talk was given at the end. there was an evening satsang on the seventh. Uh, the occasion, master's birthday, was being celebrated, and he was given a, a special um, uh, doohickey, the uh, patra, uh, which is a. Um, uh, it's the thing they do in India. <laughs> It's a big, long uh, address, uh, like a big, long scroll in which it tells you how great you are. And Master was very uh, funny with the way he dealt with that. But anyway, this is uh, at the end of all of that. And, um, uh, you know, hundreds of people probably have spoken at this particular meeting. Um, Whenever Master spoke, this, this perhaps can be emphasized too, or should be, because it may be that not everyone is aware. Uh, He invariably had um, clergy people, religious leaders, spiritual leaders uh, from many different sects on the platform with him, and uh, they would very often speak. I think the number of satsangs that I attended... Uh, at Samhain Ashram, and at Manav Kendra for that matter, um, the number of times that he did not have uh, at least a Muslim and a Hindu um, yogi or clergy person or whatever on the platform with him. Uh, can be maybe counted on one hand of course when he went on tour into smaller villages and so forth and uh, met with you know intimately with people that wasn't always the case but um, and he also um, they would speak and master refers to that in this talk okay so he is um, he's concluding this probably marathon session I, I used to say, this is, perhaps it works against it's the point here, but I, I sat through so many long, loud talks by sadhus um, in the many times I was in India with Master Kripal. I, I once said to somebody, hell is a sadhu talking on and on. And I, of course, you know, we, they were never translated and they get so... Uh, vigorous and all of this and I just we get so tired of it. Anyway, uh it was you had Darshan the whole time because Master was sitting there, so it was and it probably if they hadn't been doing that, they would have been um you know, much less darshan. So I, I, I knew that at the time also. And I I was very I would fixate on having darshan All right, Master says, I will not take much of your time now. There is a revolution in the world today in each and every country. It has, however, not achieved its purpose, which is that man should become man. And obviously here he's not talking about maleness. I mentioned this last month, and I'll say again that the Master's language of choice, the language he preferred to read and write in, was Urdu. And in the Urdu language, the word that is translated here in many, many places for man is insan, and as Master pointed out, uh, the term insan means one who is bubbling over with love, and that is he's using that. The Hindi-Urdu original that underlies all his use of that term means that it's gender-free, and it has. It refers to the ultimate origin and destiny of human beings. So when he talks about man-making, this is what he's talking about. That humans become really human in the sense of insan. And I, I, I'll also mention again that booklet, the very famous booklet, uh, very basic booklet, Man Know Thyself, In the Urdu language, which is the title given to both the Urdu and Hindi versions published in India, O insan apane Kojan, O human being or O person, entity bubbling over with love, why don't you know your own self? In other words, why don't you know that you are bubbling over with love? Why don't you experience that love for your own self? Um... So these things don't always uh, stop at the point where we would tend to stop them. So, if man becomes man in the true sense of the word, he can all alone shake the whole world. Archimedes, who discovered the law of gravity, wanted to get the center of gravity of the universe so that he could shake the whole world. But the poor fellow couldn't get it. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came in Bengal. His chant was Bol, say Hari, the Lord. He had realized Hari, or God within, his whole body gave out radiation of Hari, and on his lips was the chant Bol, uttered from the abundance of a heart overflowing with the love of Hari. He went to Adobe Ghat washerman's place, and said to a dobi, a washerman, Hadibol. The dobi kept silent. Again he said, Hadibol. The dobi thought he must be a mendicant asking for alms, and he remained silent. Chaitanya repeated his chant, Hadibol. The dobi said, I will not say it. You will have to say it, said Chaitanya. The dobi thought, this fellow will not leave me alone, so he said it. Now when Chaitanya uttered the words Haribol, they were charged with the power of realization. So the dobi left off his work and took up the unending chant, Haribol, Haribol, Haribol. His companions asked him, What has happened to you, brother? Haribol, Haribol. The continuous chant went on, hearing which the other dobis also started chanting, Haribol, Haribol. Do you know what is at the back of it all? Be an example of what you preach. Your life should emit rays of ideal manhood. People who come into contact with you should feel the radiation. But first you have to become man in the true sense of the word. If you take just a few steps towards that, You will find that you have unlimited potential of man making. The revolution today is of the world, not of man. If you have true love in your heart and your goal is true, you will give out the same radiation. You may address a gathering of thousands, they will all agree with you. Today people are after religions. Each stands for his own religious formation and they all have the same teachings but we do not live up to these teachings and therefore they have little effect on us if we speak with a true heart there will be radiation it will have its effect on others it is a question of charging the words may be the same as used by others but they will have charging in them unless we live up to what we preach Our words will have no effect on others. With all the lectures, recitations from scriptures, organizations and social formations, exhortations from intellectuals that man should become man, where do we stand? How many ideal men have we produced so far? During my Western tour I gave a talk wherein I said there should be a revolution aimed against the shortcomings of our thoughts and actions, a spiritual revolution. Now, dear brothers, all that you have heard today, the whole thing has been put before you so beautifully. Do we really feel the necessity of this thing? If so, we should start acting on it from this very moment. If we would do that, we would surely become man, a true man, and all those who come in contact with us will be influenced by us. A few words from a man like that will have greater effect than all the lengthy lectures. Gandhiji and others like him who lived up to their ideals, their ordinary words had great impact on the listeners. Today our words have no effect. We give recitations from the scriptures and talk learnedly, without effect. What was there in the words Haribo? They had the radiation, the charging of realization. All of you assembled here can become ambassadors of truth. It is not so difficult to do that. The center of gravity is in you. You have only to awaken it. That will happen when there is no conflict between our thoughts, speech, and actions when we do not profess one thing and do something else. We preach lofty ideals on pulpit and platform, but act differently in private, indulging in the same vices, backbiting, enmity, hatred, narrow-mindedness, which we condemn so eloquently in public. Heart speaks to heart. Words spoken from the depth of the heart will move the heart of the listener. To put the whole thing in a nutshell, if we wish to see all mankind become man in the true sense, we should start with our own self. We should become men first. What is an ideal man? He is an embodiment of love. And remember, in the language that Master was actually speaking, uh, he is. this is almost a... Uh, a word where two things mean the same thing what is an ideal insan he is an insan basically is what he's saying there he is an embodiment of love he has realized himself and realized god he sees the light of god imminent in every form he who sees that light manifest in all will naturally have love and respect for everyone He will like to serve all. He will not cheat or exploit anyone. I just now mentioned the need for a spiritual revolution to bring about this transformation and this revolution can only be brought about by a man of realization. Live the life. There is enough food for thought available. We read so many books, hear so many lectures, but how many true men are there? The more we have of such men, true men, the more effect we will have on people. What little understanding I got by sitting at the feet of my master, Hazur Baba Sawan Singh Ji Maharaj, I am giving out to you. He loved all, even atheists. Once when he was posted at Mari Hills, an atheist who was suffering from tuberculosis and was advised to sojourn in the hills by his doctors came to Murray Hills. He knocked at every door for accommodation but found them all closed. Nobody was willing to take him in. First, because of the highly infectious disease he was suffering from, and also because he did not believe in God. He came to the residence of Hazur maharaji who was away on duty at the time. He asked the housekeeper for accommodation and was refused. It so happened that Hazur maharaji was just then returning home and saw the man being turned away from his house. He asked the housekeeper about it and was told that it was a tuberculosis patient asking for accommodation whom nobody was willing to take in what did you say? asked Hazur. I also refused him, for he was an atheist, said the housekeeper. Hazur Maharaj told him, Look here, this man may not know that God resides in him, but we know it, don't we? Please give him accommodation. The words of a man of realization have an impact on others. It comes through radiation. There is no need to speak. The whole thing is done through radiation. You have said so much about me, but I have yet to become a complete man. I have taken a few steps in that direction. And what little understanding I got through the grace of God and the grace of Hazura Maharaji and the opportunity that I got to live up to that, the whole credit for that goes to my master. If you find anything good in me, that again is due to his grace. There is nothing new in what I am saying to you. What is required is life behind the words, as with Chaitanya and Haribo. Guru Nanak used to go into Samadhi repeating the words Satkartar. It comes from the unity of thought and action. There should be no conflict between speech and action practice and profession. So if you want to really live, then you should yourself become man first. Put your own house in order before you set out to reform others. If you take one step forward with sincerity of purpose, God overhead will extend a thousand hands to help you on your way. I thank you for all your time and for giving me this opportunity to speak to you once again. This is the way to succeed in achieving your purpose of becoming a man. In the West, it was this very thing that attracted them radiation through action, that is, life lived according to precepts. It is the same old, old teachings. There is nothing new in all that is being given out to you. Digest it. Food that is well-digested gives one strength. Undigested food will come out through vomiting or it will rot and cause disease. All this bigotry and narrow-mindedness, selfishness and exploitation of man by man is due to not doing what we say and profess. We only say, we do not do. With these words, I thank you all once again. The great men here who spoke to you this evening have put these things so beautifully before you. They would like you to live up to them. Let each man become a center unto himself. He should develop and progress physically, intellectually, and spiritually, and reach the ultimate goal, merge into the absolute from where he came. I want you all here assembled to become ambassadors of truth, to know yourselves first and then to know God and through radiation change others. Thank you. And very briefly, I want to read one... One saying which I find very enlightening. This is from a Kabbalistic master, um, Rabbi Moses Cordovero, who was active in Safad, in Palestine, um, in the 1600s. It's called the nature of God, and he says. An impoverished person thinks that God is an old man with white hair, sitting on a wondrous throne of fire that glitters with countless sparks. As the Bible states, the Ancient of Days sits, the hair on his head like clean fleece, his throne flames of fire. Imagining this and similar fantasies, the fool corporealizes God, He falls into one of the traps that destroy faith. His awe of God is limited by his imagination. But if you are enlightened, you know God's oneness. You know that the divine is devoid of bodily categories. These can never be applied to God. Then you wonder, astonished, who am I? I am a mustard seed in the middle of the sphere of the moon. Which itself is a mustard seed within the next sphere so it is with that sphere and all it contains in relation to the next sphere so it is with all the spheres one inside the other and all of them are a mustard seed within the further expanses and all of these are a mustard seed within further expanses your awe is invigorated the love in your soul expands and that is the reality that the master is calling us to that is the universe as the masters see it and i find that helpful to remember our closing bhajan is on page 84 Beloved Salen Kripal, why don't you give us your darshan? We are great sinners Cut down all the dangers We have come to your door Why don't you attach us to your feet? We have wandered over the whole world and have not received any support Why don't you show everyone the beautiful divine light? I am your soul Yet still I have become the slave of the mind. I am surrounded by the trap of Maya. Why don't you come and save me? Divert the waves of mind. Join the disconnected souls. Breaking the cup of sins, why don't you make us drink the nectar? O oh, Satguru, I am a useless soul. You yourself have to give me support. Why don't you remove Ajay's pain of separation? Beloved Sawan Kripal, why don't you give us your darshan? Bhajan of Sanchi on page 84. Amen. Mm-hmm. our sin. May God bless us all.